Cool, cool. Yeah, next Sunday, it's going to be fun. 40 years of faithfulness at CFC. That's pretty cool. So we're going to have a little time just to celebrate that and to just, yeah, see how God's been faithful. And it's kind of a cool thing. My in-laws have really been a part of the, the church since it initiated in 1981. So it'd be kind of cool just to see it all go full circle, um, just as they're still here and still being a part of what we do. And so it'll be an awesome thing. So I'm very excited for it. And please come back again next Sunday. We have some surprises, some cool things that are going to happen for that service. So if you're at the live stream, come on in person. It'll be fun too, um, just to kind of see what we're doing on that Sunday. So, all right. Well, we're in a study called The Simple Gospel. Uh, we're, I think, three or four weeks into this study. And that's essentially what it is. We're just taking the book of Romans and making it simple the simple gospel. And that's what Paul is saying throughout these 16 chapters in the book of Romans as he wrote this letter to the church in Rome. He's just really getting them back to this core principle and this core thought. It's all about Jesus, the simple gospel. So I wanna even just display um, our definition that we're working with when it comes to what is the gospel and how we're defining it is the gospel is Jesus crucified and risen to set me free. Jesus crucified and risen to set me free. And so I'm gonna kind of go back to that definition a couple of times throughout today's message. Um, and also today's message, it's gonna be really simple. It might be a little bit shorter than normal, but it's gonna be real simple. We're in Romans three and four, talking about how we are saved through faith. Just how Paul takes this thought and this truth and just drives it home through a couple of key ways. And so it's, just a big claim, but it kind of boils down to a very simple claim that we are saved through faith, not through our works. Well, something this week as I was studying, um, just getting this message prepared, was I was reminded again of the why for the book of Romans. Like, why is Paul writing this letter to the church in Rome? And even like what's happening in history that would kind of provoke him to write this letter to the church in Rome. What's happening in that church? And I think it's good every once in a while throughout this series to kind of reroute ourselves into the context of what's happening um, with Paul's missionary journeys and also just what's happening here in the church of Rome. So I'm actually gonna go back even a little bit further um, to about 30 AD. So Jesus has died. Uh, his disciples are all kind of freaking out, but then Pentecost happens. And so God's spirit is poured out onto those disciples and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter in Acts chapter two gives like the world's best gospel message. He's filled with God's spirit and speaks with boldness. And like in this one sitting, like 3000 people, boom, come to faith. And it's just like, whoa, like things are happening. What's cool about this time is there's a lot of Jews who are in Jerusalem during this time of Pentecost from all over the world. Some of them are from Rome. They get saved. They travel back to Rome with this new gospel message and they're taking the gospel truth to their other friends in Rome. And it starts to kind of spread and really like they're being missionaries without being quote unquote like missionaries. Like nobody said, hey, here's what you do as a missionary. You gotta do this, this. They're just taking this life change, their story and they're telling all their friends in Rome. Well, let's go about 20 years more so this, this gospel message has been given and people are coming to faith in Rome. Well, some things are happening in Rome and the emperor and his kind of hoodlums are getting mad about the state of affairs and they blame everything on the Jews. 
There's no facts in it. They just say eh, everything that's wrong is because of the Jews in Rome. And so what he does is he puts this big decree in 50 AD and expels every Jew from Rome, just kicks them out. Get out of here, get out of here. So they all have to leave. And they end up in like Corinth and different areas. And as we read in Acts chapter 18, Paul runs into some of these Jews who are Christians. He's like, whoa, I, like, he's like, I didn't know there was Christians like way up there. He's kind of like, this is awesome. They become friends and all these things. Well, then a few years later, this decree that there's no more Jews in Rome ends. And then their emperor says, hey, you can come back. Jews can come back to Rome. So these Jews are coming back to Rome who are Christ followers but they also come to a church that they used to kind of run and manage that, was been, that had been run by a bunch of Gentiles, people who are from Rome that have some of that more Roman culture. And they go, whoa, this church is way different than when we left like five or six years ago. Like, this is all wrong. And there starts to be a lot of division in how they're seeing church and how they think the gospel message should be preached and how it should be worked out. And the Jews are Christ followers, but they have what one of my professors says are familial traits, where they're still hanging on to a lot of these traditions that they've had in their Jewish faith, where they're still putting a lot of works and a lot of things into this gospel message, saying you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do that, to really truly be a Christ follower. The Gentiles are like, what? Like, isn't it just about Jesus? And they're like, no, 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 it's about all these things. So there's division that's happening in the church. And so Paul gets word of this, and Paul's like, well, I need to write a letter to like recenter the church back on the truth of the gospel, back on Jesus. So that's what this letter truly is about. It's a long letter. It's about 7,000 words. And so back in the ancient history, a letter that's more than 1,000 words was like not unheard of, but very uncommon. This is 7,000 words. So he is just like, I'm writing them a letter. <laughs> he just goes for it, right? And he gives this very long letter. And so also, as a good reminder, when we're reading through this, uh, uh, reading through the book of Romans, the church would take this letter in its entirety and read it aloud in one sitting. Because Paul, and what he did is he would write like arguments earlier in like chapters two and three and answer those kind of logical arguments and those conclusions later on in chapters eight and nine and 10 and things like that. So sometimes if you're reading and you're like, man, it seems like he's not gonna answer what he just said in Romans chapter two, then later on it's like, whoa, he just said this in Romans chapter six. That makes sense. It's because when we read this, we have chapters to make it easy for us to kind of break it down. So we kind of go chapter by chapter by chapter. And we're used to like novels where in a chapter something might get concluded or it might lead you on or whatever. This is just a long letter, and we've just kind of arbitrarily said, oh, here's chapter four. You know, we just kind of do what we want. But really, this is a long letter. So kind of have that in the back of your mind, too, in the context of what is happening. Um, I also want to say one thing, too. This is a shameless plug before we dive in. We have a podcast, uh, Cheney Face Center does. We talk about our Sunday messages a little bit more in depth on episodes called The Midweek. So our podcast, if you go to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon, kind of wherever, type in Cheney Faith Center, and you'll see a bunch of episodes. We have our Sunday sermons on there as well. So if you missed out and you're like, oh, I want to hear just the message, you can listen there. But also every week, uh, Mark and I and a few other people will just sit down. We'll talk more about what we talked about on Sunday, because we have more time in that podcast to expand 
on some deeper theological things, or talk about some just core cultural moments that are happening from a biblical perspective. Just bring some thoughts into that. So shameless plug, we have a podcast, we have some episodes, one of them is called The Midweek, and it's just a way to kind of deeper into your study of the book of Romans. And it's fun. Mark and I have a good time on there. A lot of times we banter back and forth too and, and all that stuff. So I want to encourage you to also take some time, if you have it, to listen to that. Well, today we are in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4. And we're going to be talking about this truth that Paul sets up, that we are saved through our faith in Jesus and nothing else. Some Bibles might say we are justified by our faith. So we're going to take this point and it's, again, in its simplicity, just hammer it out. And so hopefully by the end of today's message, you'll be like, man, he kept saying that we're saved by faith. Yes, that's the one I'm going to keep saying. <laughs> that's what Paul keeps saying chapter after chapter. And he really hits it home right here. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and we're going to dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, again, that we can gather here. And I, I just love knowing, Lord, that words that were written 2,000 years ago are still so prevalent and so needed in our hearts and our minds right now because it is your word. It is, it is living, it is breathing, it is active. And it, is, it is pure and it is true and it is noble. And so, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive from your holy word, Lord. Um, holy Spirit, speak through me. Let it be your words, not mine. And um, God, that we would leave here encouraged, but also leave here uh, challenged in our faith as we help others know Jesus and live for him daily. So God, we just give you this time. Praise your name. Amen. So in Romans 3, um, kind of in the, in the first little bits, Paul's really establishing, and also in Romans 2 and things, that we're all sinners, that there's no really excuse for anyone, that everyone has had a moment to understand that there is a God and that we've fallen short of God's standard. Like Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. So we, we kind of get this realization. What Paul also does in here is he mentions like, yeah, the, the Gentiles, so those who are non-Jews, they're, they're pretty bad. But you Jews, you think you're all good with your rules and stuff? You're actually far worse off. He really hits them home of just like, you guys aren't living to your own standard. The Gentiles are actually doing better than you. They don't even have a standard. And he's really just kind of setting this, this, this thing home of like, you guys are not perfect, which evermore is the need for Jesus in our lives. He really sets this up in a huge way. And so I want to um, go to Romans 3, verses 27 and 28. And he says this to the church. He says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? So again, he's saying like, hey, you guys think you're perfect? You think you're good? Have you even done anything to be accepted by God? He says, no, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith, verse 28. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. So he just makes it very clean and clear right here. It's not about the law. It's not about what you do, X, Y, Z. It's truly about, are you placing your faith into who God is? So he says this, we are acquitted or we are saved through faith in Jesus. And that's one of our main points this morning is we are acquitted or we are saved through faith in Jesus. And that is good news. Hence why we call it 
the gospel, the good news. And again, that definition that we're working with, the gospel is Christ crucified or Jesus crucified and risen to set us free. And that is the basis of that definition. And we see this here. We are acquitted or we are saved through our faith in Jesus. We are acquitted from our current state of death because before there was separation from God in our sin. But because Christ's sacrifice covers what we need through his blood, we are offered again this freedom through what Christ has done. Not through what we can do, but what Christ has done. He talks about this in Romans 3, 25. It reminds me a little bit, uh, have you ever seen those news specials or like those big news stories where somebody who's been tried for a crime, maybe wrongly, and then like 40 years later, um, they realize, oh, that person's not guilty. There's new DNA or there's new evidence. There's new things to the case and trial. And you see that moment when they're like, hey, you're free. Like you're no longer in jail. And they're just like, what? And it's just like this big emotional time. Well, that's similar to what we're seeing here. It's similar. Like, man, we're acquitted of what we're actually guilty of? It's like, whoa, okay. And there should be this big emotional time that truly this allows us to respond out of thankfulness and gratitude. Well, I wanna play a quick video that shows this happening of this man, his name is Daniel. He was wrongfully accused of murder at the age of 16. Um, there was a bunch of weird things that happened in his trial and he kind of got coerced into some stuff. And um, he just is like, well, I, I never did it. And they do trial to trial and they realize, yeah, this is actually wrong. But there was all these weird legal things. So he had his third trial, his third time. This is the last hope. Either he's guilty or he is not. And so I wanna play um, this video clip that kind of shows the emotion that happens with him and his family and how he responds out of this truth of like, I'm acquitted of all charges. I am not guilty. Let's take a look. Crime has maintained his innocence throughout. That's from the jury. His first trial in 1994 ended in a mistrial due to a hung jury. A 1995 retrial ended with a conviction for capital murder, and Viegas was sentenced to life in prison. After spending 18 years in prison, that verdict was thrown out in 2013 because of ineffective assistance of counsel. Viegas was released in January of 2014 and has remained out on bond as he awaited a third trial. During that time, he fathered two children. Though the prosecution continued to insist on his guilt, there was no DNA, no firearm, and no forensic evidence presented linking Viegas to the shooting. If the defendant will please stand. Within moments, he'll find out if he goes home with his family or spends the rest of his life in prison. Madam presiding juror, have you in fact reached a verdict? He's on trial for the third time for the murder of two teens when he was just 16 years old. Many believe he was wrongfully convicted. If the defendant will please stand. The last 25 years of his life, much of it in prison, has all led up to this moment. In the District Court of El Paso County, Texas, 409th Judicial District, the state of Texas versus Daniel Villegas, number 940D09328. Verdict form B, we the jury find the defendant Daniel Villegas not guilty of- 
the first time since he was 16 years old, 25 years ago, Daniel Villegas is a free man. Mr. Villegas, you have been under many conditions uh, in this court. You are no longer under any conditions in this court. You are free to leave. Good luck to you, sir. Crime has maintained his innocence throughout. All right. I think from that moment, I love at the very end, the judge says, you were under intense conditions. Those are no longer applied to you. That's the truth that we see in scripture is we were under conditions that deserve the penalty of death from our sins for the wages of sin is death. That no longer applies to us because we are acquitted by our faith in Jesus. And so watching this and looking at it, it always just makes me wonder like, man, like what's the response out of that? What's the response? Because for us, for him, he was wrongfully accused. For us as humans, we are rightfully accused. We have the DNA evidence that we are guilty of our sins. We have multiple witnesses. We are at the crime scene. Like we are guilty of the sins that we have committed. But in steps Jesus, he says, no, I'm taking it. I'm taking those sins. I'm providing my life for yours. Not on anything that you have done, but because I love you and I've promised you that I will do this and I will fulfill that promise. And that's the good news right there, that Jesus was crucified for our sins, but risen so that we can be set free. That is the good news. In that video, that man experienced very good news, right? His family was just like, oh, like finally he is free. What about us? Are we, are we saying, yes, we are free? In Romans 4, verses 5 through 8, um, Paul gives this into his writing. He says this in verse 5, But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. Then he brings into the conversation King David. He quotes from Psalm 32. He says, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Again, it's not what we can do. It's freely from what God has done. Verse seven, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Amen to that, right? That is good news. Verse eight, Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Those are big, big things. And there should be joy and thankfulness and just all the emotions that you can think of coming out of this truth that we are saved by our faith, that we were guilty of so many things, but yet through Christ, we are set free. So our next question is this, how do you respond to the message of the gospel. How do you respond to the message of the gospel? Something that I've been processing through a lot lately is a concept called the theology of response. Essentially, it's this thought of how do I respond to life through a Christ-centered gospel lens? 
For instance, let's take stealing as like a concept. Do we not steal to avoid penalty, maybe going to jail? Sure. Or is it because I don't steal because I have all that I need in Christ? Christ has given me a life and a life to the full. So I don't even have a need to want to steal because of what Christ has done. When it comes to lying, is it again to avoid just being in trouble and being called a liar? Or is it I don't need to lie because my identity is in Christ? I am known by the King of Kings, so why lie about things in my life to look better or to get an angle or to get advantage? Because I'm found in Jesus, and that's where I am content. So why have the need to lie? And so it's what Paul is kind of starting to write in here is this thought that through our faith in what Christ has done, there is a response in how we live. So in life, how are we responding to the simple gospel? I read earlier in Psalm or in Romans 3, uh, 27 and 28, that Paul says basically like, the law, who cares about the law? Like that doesn't save you. There's really nothing good about it. But then like a few verses later in Romans 3, 31, he says this. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. My, my question is like, is Paul contradicting himself in this? Like, what's going on, man? Like, come on, get your facts straight. No, what he's essentially doing is preaching a theology of response. He's saying in Christ, through our faith, we are made whole. And it's in our wholeness and the response out of that wholeness that we just naturally fulfill the things that God has in our life that we can actually truly love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Because we are set free from who we used to be and God's spirit has now empowered us to live for Christ and to live for God. He talks about this. I'll give you kind of a, a little hint in Romans 8. We're gonna get there in a couple, a couple days in our reading plans. But he says this in Romans 8 that through God's spirit in us that we are able to be free from sin and live a life that truly honors God and truly loves God. See, the law does not save. Our faith does. And it's a lived experience out of this faith that then leads us to live a life that honors God. So now as we enter into chapter 4, um, Paul continues this logical argument that he's been setting up and he brings in the heavy hitter. He brings in the slam dunk to like his argument and to like the context. He's talking to the Jews. He brings in Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? They're like, yeah, Father Abraham. Yeah, he, let's, let's talk about him. He brings Abraham into the picture and just slam dunks his argument of how it's not by what we do that saves us. It's purely our faith in God that saves us. He brings into the conversation that Abraham wasn't circumcised for a while. He had still faith in God before all these things happened. He said throughout the process, there was a promise that Abraham would have a ton of kids 
That wasn't happening for years and years. We still had faith in what God was going to do. And he's like, I count him as righteous because of his faith, not because of what he has done. Was Abraham perfect? No, by no means. There's lots of sketchy things that Abraham did in his life, like letting his wife just go off with the king of Egypt, being like, yeah, you can, you can do that. It's like, what are you doing, Abraham? Come on, man. Like, get your head on straight, dude. But yet, in this imperfection, he had immense faith into who God is and who God was and the promises that he would give. So I want to start here in Romans chapter 4 and start in verse 17. I'm going to read from the screen on this first one because I don't have it in my notes. It says, that this is what the scriptures mean when God told them, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. That's a powerful sentence right there. That's a powerful verse. That he believed in God who brings the dead back to life, who creates new things out of nothing. Verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have, which is like how many stars are in the sky. Verse 19, Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for... Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he has handed over to die. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. And those last two verses is really truly where our definition of the gospel comes from. Jesus crucified and risen to set us free. That's what Paul is saying here in verses 24 and 25. The benefit that we believe in what God has done is so that we don't have to have all of these things to make us perfect because we're never gonna attain that. We're always gonna fail in that system. So God is flipping the economy upside down. It's not what you can do to earn salvation. It is what God has done to give you salvation. You gotta just believe in it. You gotta believe that he can do what he said he did and believe in the promises that he is affording us. So Jesus crucified and risen to set us free. We are saved and made right by our faith. Abraham's response to God was unwavering. It says his faith actually grew stronger. He was fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. That's a powerful message in itself, that in the middle of Abraham's trials, he actually grew stronger in his faith and their hope, and he brought glory to the Lord. Man, that is no easy task. I've, I feel like we can all say, yeah, we've been through some stuff at one point in our life and things that tested our faith that maybe took us down in our faith. But what we see from Abraham is he was said, I'm still digging in because I'm believing God is going to fulfill his promise. And that's what counted him as righteous, was his belief in that God can raise the dead to life and create new things out of nothing. That's pretty powerful right there. 
So this is the promise that we have and that Paul has really set up and he's hammering home time and time and time again. It's through our belief and faith in God that we are saved. What Jesus has done that saves us. Nothing else. There's nothing else that will save us. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's what Paul literally boils everything down to is in Romans 10, 9. Like, if you can believe that with your heart, like truly, truly say, I am all in with that and then confess that with your mouth, you're gonna be saved. You will be saved because your faith is what is saving you, not the outward actions that you're doing. Those happen out of response of what God has done through us, through his gospel. We, we walk out our lives, those, those lived experiences that honors God because of the response and our knowledge of man, of saying, whoa, I don't need to steal because I have all that I have in Christ. I don't need to lie because I'm found in him. Like we start to tell ourselves those things. I don't need that to fulfill me because I'm fulfilled in Christ. And that's how we live our life out. Abraham was not perfect, but he always came back to a place of full faith in what God promised. And that's that simple gospel that we're talking about in this series. This is the good news that we are justified. We are made right with God. We are saved from our sin through our faith in what God did through his son. And so our last question this morning is simply this. Do you have faith in the gospel? Do you have faith in the gospel? It can come in a couple of different veins. Maybe it's a first time faith of like, huh, I don't think I've ever truly thought about that. Yeah, it's not what I can do. It's what Christ has done. Yes, I, I believe that Jesus was rose, risen from the grave. I believe that he died so my sins are washed away. Like, I, I believe in that. Yes, you have faith in that. Or is it you're many years into your faith journey and there's moments of like, I don't believe this gospel thing is really is strong right now because there's a lot of stuff happening in my life and I'm just not seeing this happen. Where are we at in this process? How are we applying what Paul is saying throughout these chapters into our life so that either A, we're thinking for the first time, I believe in Jesus, or B, we are actually responding out of this gospel truth with a life that truly loves the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Are we gonna be perfect? No. But do we have God's Holy Spirit to empower us? Yes. And that's the biggest game changer in this whole thing. It's not in our own ability. It's in the ability the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit has given us. So I wanna take a moment just to pray and just to just respond in this moment as well about this question. So let's go ahead and just bow our heads Lord Jesus, we just, we just come to you in humility. In this simple declaration that we just talked about for the last 20 or so minutes, that it's our faith in you that saves us and nothing else. Lord, remember or help us be reminded of this deep down in our heart and our soul and in our mind that those two would meet together 
And that leaving here, we would be reminded that we cannot do the things to earn favor from God because he's already freely given his favor to us because he has, through his grace, given us his son. And so we respond out of that in a life that honors you. Lord, remind us of that truth. If any of us are stuck in this vicious cycle of thinking, I gotta be better, I gotta do better so that God will love me. Lord, I just come against that thought process and that you would just minister to them through your Holy Spirit. That to break out of that is to simply just rest in the knowledge that we are saved because Christ was crucified and risen to set us free. We are acquitted of our charges because Christ stepped in so that we would be free. Let us be reminded of that. And Lord, even right now, I wanna just allow an opportunity for people to respond. And, and as you're working, Holy Spirit, through every heart and mind that's listening to this or watching this, that we would just be able to respond. And so if there's any of us that said, yeah, this is the first time that I, see, I need to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Just, just raise your hand and say like, that's where I'm at this morning, that's me. Amen. Amen. And Lord, for some of us else in this room that just need that reminder to say, hey, I've been in a vicious cycle and I need to be reminded that it's only through faith that I am saved and not through my works and what I do. Just, just raise your hand and say, that, that's me and I'm just gonna rest in the knowledge that God has already saved me. Yeah, amen. Amen. Lord God, as you know our hearts, as you know how we're processing things, as we have times to just pray with you, to read our word, to talk with others about this, let the conversation always lead back to you not back to the, the things that we feel like we have to accomplish to be a quote-unquote good little Jesus follower. But Lord, that we would respond out of the simple truth that we are saved and set free because Jesus was crucified for my sins, but he was risen from the grave to show that we have power over sin and death. Let that truth sink in deep as we respond and walk our life outwardly in a time that is very, very weird in our culture. That people would see a difference. That people would see really, truly, like it says in Matthew 5, a city on a hill that shines your light. So God, we come before you in humility. We come before you in thankfulness and with emotion that, that we are saved because of what you have done, not what we have done. That we are saved through faith and we walk that out in response of that truth. So God, we give you this day, we give you this time, and Jesus, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Amen. All right. Well, again, thanks for just being here this morning and on the live stream. And, and I want to really encourage us as we're in this Roman study just to really dig in. Those little journals, we have some extra copies. Have some fun little like excerpts and blurbs in there to kind of help bring some other thoughts into the process. Um, they're super fun and it kind of just helps the conversation go along. Um, dads that are in the room, we got some candy bars for you on the way out. Yeah, yeah. We, we asked for like a whole T-bone steak to be ready and cooked like as you went out, but for some reason we just couldn't make that happen. So maybe, maybe some other time, I don't know. Yeah, but um, so feel free, be blessed in that. And then next Sunday, we have kind of a fun celebration for 40 years of faithfulness at Cheney Faith Center um, and all that stuff. So, all right, well, God bless. See you guys later. And yeah, we'll see you next week.